Today's first reading comes from Psalm 57, verses 1 to 2, and 7 through 11. Please listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you and to the church. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until the destroying storms pass by. I cry to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my soul, awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness extends to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Denise and Anne-Marie, for pivoting uh, this morning and picking really a perfect song for our text today. And I think we should all just be aware how grateful I am to Amy Forte, for not only for making it all the way from Clifton this morning on the, with this bad weather, but also for serving on session and being a liturgist on a day like this while deep in the middle of med school. Uh, not easy. So thank you, Amy. Our second uh, reading this morning uh, is taken from, as I mentioned to the kids, uh, the prophet Jeremiah. This is the famous call text, the story of Jeremiah's call as a prophet, found in the first chapter, starting with the fourth verse. Listen now to what the Spirit is saying to you and to the church this morning. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord, truly, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a boy, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. May the meditations of our hearts together this morning upon your word to us today, in this moment, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've chosen a, uh, for our quote, kind of to help us focus on the theme of the sermon this morning, uh, which is, and the quote is always at the beginning of the bulletin. We send it out as we invite people to prepare for worship on Sunday. This morning, the quote I've chosen is from a, a famous Buddhist monk, Thich Nhat Hanh, who taught at Union Seminary in New York, and, and Thich Nhat Hanh recently passed away. It's uh, 
deep loss for the faith community uh, around the world. A close uh, colleague and friend of the Dalai Lama, for example, and a really amazing person. And he said, not many years ago, to be beautiful means to be yourself. You don't need to be accepted by others. You don't need to have others' acceptance. When you are born a lotus flower, be a beautiful lotus flower. Don't try to be a magnolia flower. If you crave acceptance and recognition and try to change yourself to fit what other people want you to be, you will suffer all your life. True happiness and true power lie in understanding yourself, accepting yourself, having confidence in yourself. Our biblical text that I'm going to be focusing on with you today from Jeremiah speaks out of the Bible's prophetic tradition, uh, in this case, arguably the most famous of all the prophets, along with Isaiah, Jeremiah. And the prophets are part of the Jewish and Christian proclamation of who God is and what God means for our lives. So we hear about the prophets a lot in church, either in sermons or we quote from them at various important times of the year. But back in its heyday, some 2,500 years ago, the prophetic voice wasn't so popular or well accepted. And sometimes the questions prophets forced us to face still aren't very welcome, even when they get asked in church. That's because the prophets in the Bible, they don't predict the future. That's not what prophet, biblical prophets do. Prophets don't tell us what inflation's going to do or don't give us the real, you know, over-under for tonight's football games. Prophets speak God's truth to us. And almost always, God's truth is uncomfortable. God's truth, at first anyway, is hard for us to hear. A little boy came home from church one Sunday looking very upset. His mother asked him what was wrong, and he said, Oh, we learned a stupid song in Sunday school today. His mom was a bit surprised. She said, well, what was the song? It says, Jesus wants me to be a sunbeam. Oh, I think that's nice, his mother said. What's stupid about being a sunbeam? Because, the little boy fumed, I don't want to be a sunbeam. I want to be a truck driver. But maybe we shouldn't buy into the belief that it's an either-or Situation: I can be a truck driver and be a sunbeam in my own little imperfect way. I can be Jesus' sunbeam too, and so can you, so can all of us. Today's prophetic question from Jeremiah, the same question that comes to him as he relates it to us, is what is your life's purpose starting right now? As I say, Jeremiah faces that very same question this morning, and he faces that question in the middle of very tough times. In fact, maybe it's the difficulty and pain of hard times that makes us open to a voice that deep somewhere within us starts to help us to see a better way than the way we've been going when we aren't anymore under the illusion that we've always got everything under control. It's tough times that make us receptive, I think. In the last two years, since this pandemic has invaded and taken over all of our lives, I've talked with more people who are rethinking their purpose in life than ever before. 
with so much changing, more and more people are looking hard at, maybe for the first time they're looking hard at what they want to be doing with their lives, where they want to be doing it, who they want to do it with. Same thing is happening to Jeremiah in this text this morning. Everything around Jeremiah is not only changing, it's falling apart. 600 years before the life of Jesus, the Babylonian armies were poised on the border, massed on the border of Judah, like the Russians on the border of Ukraine, like the next variant waiting from somewhere in the world to explode and come. The golden age of Jerusalem and Judah that for many years had taken place under the wonderful king Josiah is about to be over and gone forever. The steady disintegration of Judean society, like the northern kingdom of Israel, which had already fallen to the Assyrian Empire about 90 years before, that disintegration of Judah and Jerusalem, and especially the temple in Jerusalem, the center and foundation of life and faith for all of God's people, all that disintegration and destruction was about to happen with the end point being the final deportation of all of Judean society back to Babylon. And that moment is when God calls Jeremiah, this boy. Call narratives always in the Old Testament follow a set formula. We see it in Moses, we see it with Isaiah, Samuel, Jonah, and here in Jeremiah, it's exactly the same. And it's different. Here's what's the same. The Devar Yahweh, the word of God, comes to somebody who's just minding his own business, living his life. And the word of God, Devar Yahweh, says, you don't know this, but I have a purpose for you, which you're about to start. And in the Bible, always the person being called by God for this special mission, this special purpose, says, that's a terrible idea, God. I don't want that purpose. And even if I did want that purpose for my life, I am not qualified to live that purpose out. I just don't have what it takes. And as we talked about with the kids, God always dismisses the would-be prophet's objections, saying, in this case, nice try, Jerry, but just as everything's going wrong everywhere else, I'm appointing you. It's like those old posters with Uncle Sam pointing to us. Remember? I want you. God points to Jeremiah in the midst of chaos, in the midst of trouble and disintegration and says, I want you to serve me. I want you to live out this new purpose for your life. And Jeremiah, still not so enthused about the idea, says, sorry God, but I'm not ready for that purpose. I'm too young for that purpose, too inexperienced, too immature, I'm not religious enough. I'm not spiritual enough. Jeremiah is doing what we all do when God's voice comes to us. He's defining his worth based on whether he thinks he's going to be good enough. Because that's how we're taught to value ourselves, based on our performance. That's how we're taught to value other people, too. And God, here in this text this morning, did you catch it, comes back with the radical response that a person's capacities and talents and how they perform even ethically and morally in the world are not what make them valuable in God's eyes. What, Jer- what God tells Jeremiah is, what you do isn't why I love you. I love you anyway, 
and I want to use your life to make a difference. And this proclamation, this promise by God, this mission which God gives to Jeremiah is ritualized, just like when Moses had to take off his sandals in front of the burning bush or when the seraphim grabbed a burning coal from the altar and burned Isaiah's mouth with it. In this text this morning, the Lord God puts out God's hand, whatever that is or looks like, and touches Jeremiah's mouth and says, now I have put my words, Jeremiah, into your mouth. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. And that's the formula that all prophet call stories share in the Bible. It all happens the same way, more or less, in that same sort of basic format. God reaches out to us in the middle of us minding our own business. God speaks to us somehow, puts a calling on our mind and on our hearts. We resist, we make excuses, we obfuscate and evade. God counters our resistance with a gentle rebuke and then a promise which shows us and reassures us that God's not asking us to do it all on our own, to live out our purpose alone. That's what's similar about the call to Jeremiah this morning. But here's what's different. What's different is that the way Jeremiah finds his purpose in life, his God-given purpose, tells us that like him, we are precious and special to God in amazing ways. There is an intimacy to Jeremiah's call that we don't see elsewhere in Scripture. Its message is this. God knows us and still wants us and wants, us, wants to work through us, every last one of us, to live out our uniquely God-given purpose in this world and to change the world for better. And that's good news as my pastor when I was in high school used to say, God knows you and loves you anyway. That is good news. So few of us are really known as kind of an introvert when I'm not at church. I have to say that for the last couple of years, I've kind of liked wearing masks in public. I wear a mask and I'll keep my masks on as long as necessary, mainly because I don't want to somehow catch the virus and then unknowingly give it to someone like my father or someone else. But I also wear a mask in public because I really don't mind not being recognized. The truth, though, is that even, in, even before the pandemic, you and I wear masks most of the time in life. We wear masks so much that no one really knows who we really are. And sadly, we get so used to the masks that we show to the world. A lot of us even wear those masks when no one else is around. We come to believe in them. At different places in our lives, when we do wear masks, we kind of get lost. We lose touch with ourselves, the truth of ourselves. And that's because inside, we don't think who we really are. If people really knew us, we think that they wouldn't love us, wouldn't accept us. And we, when we start to believe that, we have trouble even accepting ourselves. But listen to the first verse of the passage in Jeremiah 1 that we read today. Jeremiah 1, verse 4. Before I formed you in the womb, 
I knew you. Before you were even born, I set you apart. And I chose you, I appointed you to make a unique impact in this world. And that's the faith claim that Jeremiah's call shows us today. When you, when you and I finally find and then follow our purpose, the thing that makes us happiest in the deepest sense of the word, we become a vessel for God's presence. God will be at work in you, and you're going to know it because you're going to feel it. And more than anything else, when you feel God's presence in you, working its way and its purpose out through your life, maybe for the very first time, you're going to feel recognized, known in the deepest sense, and accepted and embraced anyway. Finding and living your purpose in life makes you feel like the Apostle Paul when he wrote in that great text in 1 Corinthians that you hear most of the time at weddings, Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. I once had a dad in my last church in Cranford, New Jersey, come up to my associate pastor and me after worship one day in the receiving line and give us both a huge hug, grab us in his arms together. He was a big, giant, former collegiate football player. And as this huge guy grabbed me and squeezed me, I could feel the breath leaking out of my lungs and I could feel the tears on his cheek. And he whispered to us, kind of as he squeezed both of our heads toward his, and I was thought I might die. He said, don't ever stop telling my boys, who had been having a lot of trouble, his teenage boys, each of them, and both of them with each other, don't ever stop telling my boys that because of Christ, God accepts them just as they are. Because knowing God loves me just for who I am changed my life. And one day, I know it's going to change theirs. Before you were born, I knew you, and I will never leave you, God says to Jeremiah. So don't be afraid. What a message. My Colorado congregation, there was this elderly lady, kind of a famous Sunday school teacher. She taught Sunday school for like 50 years in that church. And she used to tell the children sometimes, in children's sermons and in Sunday school class, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. It's true. When you believe deep down that you are uniquely loved for the unique person you are and that that love God has for you, for you alone in just this way, the love God has for you wants to work its way out through you and your life as your purpose in life and it wants to change things. It was 2 a.m. on the night of March 5th, 2005, and 26-year-old single mother, Ashley Smith, decided to go to a nearby market because she couldn't sleep and she wanted to get some cigarettes, and she was out. When Ashley got back to her apartment that morning, early in the morning, deep in the middle of the night, after about five minutes, and started to put her key in the door, a man stuck a gun in her ribs. She began to scream. He told her if she was quiet and did what he asked, he wouldn't hurt her. 
After a few minutes, she recognized who he was when they got into the apartment. It was Brian Nichols, a prisoner who earlier that day brought to court for retrial on a rape conviction, had overpowered a guard, taken the guard's gun, and shot and killed the presiding judge, the court reporter, a deputy, and a federal agent. And then Brian Nichols had escaped, carjacked several cars, gotten away. Now this man, this same man who earlier that day had murdered four people in cold blood, was in Ashley Smith's apartment. He tied her up with masking tape, a shower curtain, and an extension cord. Ashley pleaded with him not to hurt her. She told him she had a five-year-old daughter who she was supposed to meet at 10 o'clock in the morning. She told him that her daughter would be very upset if her mom didn't show up. And in fact, Ashley Smith spent hours talking with Brian Nichols and hours listening to him. He told her that he deserved for what he'd done to have a bullet put in the back of his head for all the things that he'd done before that day and especially that day. She said, no one deserves that. He said that he felt like he was already dead, so it didn't matter what happened. She told him he wasn't dead. He was standing there before her very much alive, which she pointed out to him was a miracle. They talked about what had happened that day. They watched television coverage of the manhunt that was underway in their town, and it made Brian Nichols sad to see people talking about what he had done. Sometime during that night, after these hours of conversation, Brian untied Ashley, and she asked him if she could do some reading. He asked her what she wanted to read, and she pulled out her Bible and a copy of Rick Warren's bestseller in the Christian book aisle, A Purpose Driven Life. She turned to chapter 33, which was where her bookmark was, is where her reading was for that day, and she read aloud the first paragraph. Brian interrupted Ashley. Stop, he said. Read it again. The paragraph raises the question, what is the purpose of your life? Brian and Ashley then continued to have a deep discussion about purpose and failure and brokenness and our sin. Brian said that he didn't have a purpose. His life was over. She told him, again, that his life wasn't over, that he might get caught, and that his purpose from now on might be to show God's love to fellow inmates or whoever he happened to meet in the prison system. And then finally, somehow, based on the connection, the talking and listening that they had that day, Ashley told Brian that it takes more of a man to surrender and pay for his crime for what he had done than to kill others and then himself. In the morning, Brian Nichols put the guns he had stolen under the bed, and then Ashley made them both pancakes for breakfast. She asked him again if she could go to meet her daughter, and he told her she could. When the police arrived, Brian Nichols held up a white towel in surrender and went peacefully. This man who had burst into Ashley's apartment claiming to be a soldier, a terrorist on a mission, now walked out gentle as a lamb, thinking about more than just himself, about others as well. Thanks to Ashley Smith's humble courage. Smith, who herself had struggled with methamphetamine addictions in her life, commented to reporters later that 
what she wanted after getting to know Brian Nichols was that his mother would be able to say, thank you. And that no one else had to die, including him. Everyone needs a purpose for their life. Maybe that's why Rick Warren's book has been so amazingly popular and successful. People need to know they're important enough to have a purpose for living. A purpose that fills them with the presence of God. Makes them feel like they're doing what they were born to do. Jeremiah faced that question in the midst of really tragic circumstances. And his life wasn't going to get easier immediately because he accepted God's call. Jeremiah's purpose, the one God created for him before he was even born, was that he was going to have to tell God's people what they didn't want to hear, what they wouldn't hear. His message to Judah was one of the inevitability of exile. You can see it in the verbs in Jeremiah's commission here in our text today. To pluck up and to overthrow, overthrow, to destroy. But then God tells Jeremiah, you're not just going to pluck up and pull down. You're not just going to destroy and overthrow. Eventually, after the exile, you will build and you will plant. In the midst of the truth of God's prophetic word, there is always hope. Pain, mistakes, being hurt, hurting others, hard times, pandemics, realizing that I'm not as much in control as I thought I was, these moments all lead to God speaking to us anew and afresh with hard, honest messages of challenge, but also of hope, of reconciliation, of rebuilding. Exile eventually will end. Wholeness and purpose will come. And that night in Ashley Smith's apartment, Brian Nichols was confronted with and wrestled with the question we all are confronted with and have to wrestle with. What is the purpose of your life? We all have to struggle with that question as honestly as we can. We're never going to be truly happy until we do. But as God said to Jeremiah, start today. I am with you. Don't be afraid. Amen. I invite you to stand, if you're able, as we sing the hymn, God of the Sparrow.
Please be seated. And please pray with me. When you reach out to us, when you take that first step to us, toward us, when you embrace us in a tight hug, when you speak your word to us, Lord, we're often not ready, we're not prepared. But you speak to us anyway, you come to us wherever we are, you find us and you call us to come closer and closer to you. And for that we give you thanks this morning. We give you thanks that you love us enough to never leave us, to embrace us, to forgive us. And we give you thanks that you place a call upon our lives not only to use and enjoy your love ourselves, but to bear witness to it, to spread it, to pass it forward. This morning, in the midst of challenging times still, we offer you our prayers, we offer you the truth of our lives, our worries and our concerns, our regrets, our remorse, but also our thanksgiving, our feelings deep inside of being truly blessed. All these are our offerings to you in response, O oh God, to your gift of yourself, your love, your promise that you are with us and that we should not be afraid your promise that we have a purpose for which you have equipped us, are equipping us even now. And then when we follow that purpose, we feel completely satisfied. We feel known and loved. We feel whole. We pray for that gift of wholeness, not only for ourselves, but for those who for whatever reason these days feel anxious or broken we pray for the people in Eastern Europe, especially the country of Ukraine, but also of Russia and all the surrounding countries of Europe and the world. We ask you to bless and intervene in that situation, bring peace where there is conflict and disagreement. We pray for a diplomatic solution so that lives may not be lost. We ask you to work for peace through each and all of the human beings, your children, who are involved. Oh God, we ask you to hold Mary Sue and Joe Yoon and their family tight in love as they grieve the death of a good friend, Avi. And we pray for those who face illness again today. We pray for Chris and for Mary Beckhusen, for Susan Booker, for Richard Lockie, for John Tardino, and for those we name silently in our hearts right now. Loving God, we place uh, once again this world, this nation, uh, before you in prayer, especially as we seek to move forward and hopefully, we pray soon, out of this pandemic, 
We thank you that numbers are dropping in our area. We pray for the same all around this country and world. And we pray for uh, you to continue to work your reconciliation, your peace, your forbearance and grace into the way we as a nation and a world work with and interact with one another that we might pursue the better, uh, the angels of our better natures in all that we do as human beings. We ask all these prayers this morning in the name of the one who called Jeremiah and calls us to a relationship of purpose, of hope, of love, and of joy, even Jesus Christ. Amen.